I'm David Cates, President and CEO of Denison Mines, a company listed on the TSX under the symbol DML and on the NYC American under DNN. We're a uh, uranium development company focused in the Athabasca Basin region of northern Saskatchewan. Our flagship project is Wheeler River with a very exciting um, deposit, uh, Phoenix, being brought forward as the first in-situ recovery uranium mine in Canada. David, thank you very much for the introduction. Um, like so many uranium companies, you're in London at the moment. You've got the, the, the glamorous background of a, of a London hotel room. Um, how's the week been for you? Uh, Merlin, it's been, it's been a good week. Um, these trips are always filled with a variety of interactions for us. Um, we, we've sort of run the mix of investor meetings and industry meetings, attended many of the sessions, um, uh, and, and, and certainly had casual conversations throughout. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a good week. I, I think sentiment is very positive, which, which is great. You're catching me, obviously, at the, at the end of the week. Um, so, so maybe a little bit of fatigue setting in, but uh, only from being so busy uh, during the week. I'll, I'll try and ginger you up with, uh, with the right questions. Um, when you say industry contacts, are you principally referring to uh, peers, other, other developers or uh, utilities? You know, what, what, when you talk about industry contract, contacts, what do you mean? Well, well really, everybody's here. Uh, so, so many events where um, we have sort of a common thread uh, around the uranium production, development, exploration space. Uh, but also I'm talking about, um, you know, our intermediaries in the sector, the traders, uh, some of the brokerages and trying to understand what they're seeing in the market. And then also just many casual contacts um, with utilities that we've, we've been in touch with um, or, or others, um, you know, investors uh, that are attending the conference. Um, re really this year, we, we've seen all of those groups uh, represented in, in, in large numbers. So you haven't had to walk or look very far uh, to bump into someone that uh, you might want to talk to briefly, at least, to, to understand uh, what's going on in their business and how that might be relevant to your business. Um, I understand that the mood's been relatively buoyant. Um, for, for me, one of the kind of the biggest things to come out of it is the, the new kind of biannual uh, nuclear um, supply demand projections by the WNA, uh, the new report. They're looking at 3.8% uh, supply growth. And I see in your presentation, um, which is, you know, predates this, you're looking at the uranium demand rising from around 200 million pounds per annum today to above 250 million um, pounds per annum in uh, 17 years, you know, by 2040. Um, it'll probably, you know, once the once the new numbers are in, it'll probably be even higher than that. But um, that's still, you know, considerable growth there, twenty five percent growth um, over seventeen years. Uh, you also include in your presentation that kind of uh, the the covered demand, one hundred percent now going to, you know, much less covered demand in the future. I I I eyeballed it at around fifteen percent is kind of covered in the twenty forty. What do you see? Um, and obviously, you'd like to see um, the um, Denison in that supply mix. Uh, but can you just kind of give some general comments about your take on the supply across the sector in the coming years? Well, look, I mean, what's very interesting is um, in our in our in our materials, we're we're using some of the numbers that are published by uh, UXC, which is one of the industry price reporters, and of course, we have price reporting also from Trade Tech. Um, and and uh, the WNA uh, prepares 
this report on on supply demand basically and they're, they're all prepared differently uh, with sort of different um, mandates and, and different objectives but uh, what, what's telling I think uh, Merlin right now is that th there's quite a consensus that demand is um, projected in, in all of these different sources in a variety of cases to be vectoring from positive to very positive. There's, there's no disagreement um, about demand. And on the supply side and on the contracting side, um, there's also a common thread of recognizing that um, utility needs are, are not covered uh, for, they're covered in the immediate future, which is a good thing because the, the lights need to stay on. Um, but they're not covered um, very f when we start looking out not too far from now. And where they're not covered, we also have alignment of seeing that there is a shortage uh, or, or a, uh, a question mark over where the supplies will come from to, um, to, to have the utilities become covered. And so all of these reports uh, are, are confirming uh, one element or another or the same element that utilities uh, certainly need to continue their procurement process to uh, cover themselves for existing demand and any growth that's projected, um, but also that there is great uncertainty around where those additional supplies will come from. And the WNA um, does, uh, you know, a useful analysis, but not one that factors in price. And so uh, they, they, they really are looking at projects from a supply side um, in bulk, if, if I can say that, and not dynamically. And, and it's fine. I mean, that's the purpose of that study. It, it would be, I think, more informative if, if they uh, tried to lever on price. But I think it introduces a lot of judgment that, that they're perhaps not willing to, to get into. Um, but when you look at it on, on bulk, they are seeing that there's an enormous amount of what they call unspecified sources of supply and um, even where they have specified the sources where they can say well we understand where this might come from many of those sources are not um, not currently producing or may have significant question marks and you know the nature of these kind of working groups and an organization like the WNA of course they're they're doing their very best to provide meaningful information but a study like this will have a cutoff date and so when you look at specified sources of supply, um, one of the, some of those may include places that today, uh, even based on more recent developments, uh, for example, a, a coup in, in Niger, in Niger yeah. could, could mean that that specified source is at risk. And, you know, you really have this confluence of things on the supply side of utilities not being covered, they need supply, but then the studies showing well, we're not exactly sure where the supply will come from. And then if you sort of dig the one layer deeper and say, well, what does it take for the supply to materialize? Of course, that takes you to the question of price and timing. Price, yep. And, and that is a challenge because then you start to go back to some of those other reports where people have done cost curve type projections to show at what level is an estimated cost of different projects and how many projects are needed and what will be that marginal project that balances the market and, and those certainly start taking you to a different place. And, and where I would layer on even one complication that isn't in these studies is that um, many people have not updated costs. And while we've recently put out an updated technical report that reflects current costing for Phoenix and Griffin, uh, we are an outlier 
and the nature of our industry being so um, non-public at times means that uh, we do not have a wealth of information about current cost estimates. So when you go to that cost curve, yes, you know what the numbers you're looking at from a chart that someone prepared two years ago from data that was three years old then, uh, there really ought to be quite an error bar layered on top of what we predict the incentive price will be for projects. And sorry to overwhelm with this, Merlin, but then layer on, um, how much money do people need to make these days for projects? Because the risk-free rate is not zero anymore. So the, the internal rate of return necessary for a project to be economic today is much higher than it was three years ago. Factor that into the incentive price, and it's going to be much higher than people expect. So let's just um, let's just focus on that point. So what you've just said is that the the incentive price, uh, the, quite often, if you go to presentations, you hear that they'd be using sixty, sixty-five, sometimes seventy, sometimes as high as eighty as the the required price to um, stimulate a final investment decision in project A or B or X or Y. Um, but with the our costs having risen because the studies are out of date, what you're effectively saying is that the, the real incentive price is going to have to be higher than that to, to trigger that final investment decision. 100%. And because we've not seen very many updated studies, we're left to guess what that price will be. And even the companies that have those assets, they, they have to do the work to make proper business decisions to understand what price is sufficient today versus the price they might have expected to be sufficient three years ago. And I sort of then layer on the internal rate of return as well, because cost is one part, but to be incented, you have to make an adequate profit. And the adequate profit today is a higher number than it was when interest rates were zero, right? When you have a risk-free rate, yes. yeah, yeah. when you have a risk-free rate, five to 6%, you know, to justify investment into a risky mining project, you can no longer get a 12% IRR. You're going to need to see a 22%, a 27% IRR. That drives up the price you need to be incented even further. Okay, thank you. That's really clear. Let's let's now just focus on Denison because you you talk about the next thing for uh, Phoenix being a final investment decision and. Um, you said you you, you put out a, um, a study recently this year, so they, they're fresh numbers. Um, what incentive price do you see as being required for? Um, I mean, perhaps I'm, I want kind of a life of mine average to to make this work. Um, and what are your next steps um, between you and uh, between today and, a, and and an FID? Well, look, I mean, Merlin, the first part there on incentive price. Um, you know, I think fortunately um, and and uniquely. For Denison, um, you know, we, we, we were incented to advance the project when the uranium price was $30. And, and that's owing to the uniquely low cost profile of Phoenix as an in situ recovery mine. And so we, we've already been investing and advancing because the market, even in 2018, in, in such a dispre- de- depressed state, was, was going to generate an enormous return for our shareholders just through the uh, realization of the what I call the developer to producer re-rate. And so, um, you know, it's it's a bit of a cheeky answer to say that 
um, we're already incented and we already were and, and we don't need a higher price. That is that is not the norm um, for the industry. Uh, the, I would say we're an outlier and there's a, a, a literal handful of assets that can make that claim. Um, but we need far more assets uh, to meet the, the demand requirements. And so that, that that's where we've been so aggressively moving the project forward. And, and then maybe to that second part of the question, uh, what remains? Uh, so we, we've completed the feasibility study and, and, and just for, for background for everyone, of course, uh, this is a, um, a technical study completed in accordance with our Canadian security standards. Uh, we call it the NI National Instrument 43101. This is a very rigorous technical reporting standard. Uh, the technical report was prepared by a, a third party a qualified person. We used uh, international engineering firm Wood. Uh, they have, um, you know, global expertise and are the authors, uh, the lead authors of this of the study. And so it's not uh, Denison wishful thinking of what the project's outcome might be. Uh, these outcomes have all all the costs, the assumptions, technical assumptions have all been validated and signed off by by third party qualified individuals. Um, you know, with that in hand, we're we're confidently moving forward into what we call front-end engineering design um, and detailed design. And, and that front-end engineering design is sort of the final stages of design optimization, uh, as well as identification of long lead procurement items, uh, which will then transition into detailed design, which is, as it sounds, uh, detailed engineering design, getting right down to the levels of drawings that would be used for construction. In parallel to that, we're advancing permitting. And uh, really, you need the convergence of engineering design and approval to execute your project to be able to make that final investment decision, um, as well as access to financing. So permitting is uh, a, a rigorous process in, in the Athabasca Basin um, and in Canada for a uranium mine. Uh, we're grateful to be several years into the permitting process because... Uh, Time is the kind of thing that you can't uh, buy um, for for a new discovery. Uh, and now, pleased to report that we're we're in the final stages of that permitting process with a draft environmental impact statement. Uh, this is a you know, six or seven thousand page document uh, submitted in October of uh, 2022, so almost a year ago, uh, which puts us well into the review and uh, uh, process, public and regulatory review process. Uh, with our view being that this was always a two to three year process. Uh, so that puts us, uh, call it two years, you know, give or take, uh, in our expectation from being uh, permitted, uh, which would then put us into about a two year construction timeline once we make a final investment decision. And then just to round out that whole timeline would see us in in, in production in the 2027 to 2028 period. Okay. The NPV on your project post-tax um, is around... Um, $1.6 billion, um, you know, it's 1.48 attributable, your market capitalization's 1.6, you know, the difference could be the, the cash and investments. So you're effectively trading at one times um, your the NPV of your project, uh, which is a great result for a development company. I mean, if you look across the gold and the copper space. Um, well, I mean, Merlin, it's, it, it's, I mean, that would be if we were only valued on, on Phoenix. Right, and and of course we have a, a portfolio of other assets. So so 
we trade on a consensus nav basis probably in the 0.6 to 0.7 type range, pretty much in line in line with okay. developers in other okay. commodities. Yeah. With a two-year kind of permissing timeline, um, what do you what? How do you manage the kind of the market expectation? Because there's in the market runs on a short-term basis. Portfolio managers kind of um, do mark to market on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, um, and you've got these long-term kind of development timelines. How do you communicate that 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 discrepancy? How do you manage that process? Well, I mean, do you mean from a, like a news flow and a investor interest standpoint, or yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I think we're grateful to have a portfolio of projects uh, for this time. Um, absolutely, we've come through a catalyst-rich period for for Phoenix with our de-risking uh, activities over the last four to five years. Uh, we've delivered excellent results, and they've all culminated now in the in the feasibility study for Phoenix. Um, you know, the permitting permitting is 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 perhaps not glamorous, but does have important milestones ahead as well as um, advancing some of our work to, to further our agreements with indigenous groups. And so those would be the project um, milestones that will come pre-FID. But, um, you know, what we've done is, is, is you, you'll see, uh, you know, based on our budgets and our, and our business uh, plans, you know, the, the work we've done at Phoenix has really de-risked um, ISR mining in the Athabasca Basin in our mind. And so you'll see that we are also active on other assets and uh, we're aggressive with exploration because we believe we have an enormous competitive advantage uh, with the work that we've done on ISR mining in the basin. And we are working uh, this year on two different projects um, to advance the understanding of ISR mining there. And, and one would be at our Waterbury Lake project where we have a field program uh, to collect additional information for our THT deposit as, as an ISR, uh, potential ISR mine. And we're also working with our uh, partner, uh, Arano, and of course, Arano is a global leader in the nuclear fuel cycle, uh, French state-backed, and um, the joint venture we have with them at Midwest, uh, we're a minority partner, we own 25%, and, and Arano owns the balance, and uh, the joint venture has retained Denison to advance the evaluation of ISR mining at Midwest. So these are both very exciting prospects for us to take our, our industry-leading knowledge and apply it to other deposits uh, and, and really show that um, Phoenix is 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 uh, not a, a, a one, you know, Denison is not a one-project company when it comes to uh, ISR mining with just Phoenix. Phoenix will no doubt be the front of this and generate enormous cash flows for us, but um, but we are looking to apply our competitive advantage to other places. And then our exploration activity is, is really designed to uh, bolster our leadership by finding uh, additional resources that could be ISR amenable. And that's the, our exploration team's mandate. Uh, of course, if they, if they come upon a, uh, a, a large uh, high-grade basement-hosted deposit, uh, that's you know accessible via conventional underground mining methods. We, we will be excited to make that discovery, but um, but our, our focus is on finding sandstone hosted uh, ISR amenable deposits, and uh, we have some excellent prospects that uh, we've been advancing quietly while we've focused on the Phoenix de-risking. That I'm starting to become quite encouraged could translate into new discoveries that uh, could quite honestly change the value of the company significantly. And does that mean um, that something like Griffin, which is a conventional um, deposit in your portfolio, 
um, you continue to work, but it could potentially become non-core at some stage, or is it kind of, it's core at the moment? But let's see how it goes. Yeah, look, I think Griffin is a perfect pairing with Phoenix in that Phoenix is such a low uh, initial capital cost. It's really attractive when you think about the value you can create for shareholders. Um, you know, we, we have such little capital to raise by comparison for Phoenix. And what Phoenix does is generates enormous cash flow, which then can be redeployed into uh, Griffin, which does have a higher CapEx price tag because it requires shaft sinking and underground mining. Um, those kind of assets are challenges for development companies because of the capital costs associated with it and the burden on shareholders to fund it. What we've got with Phoenix is a, is an asset that really solves that problem for Griffin because Phoenix is, is such high margin uh, and pays back so quickly. I mean, we're talking after-tax payback in, in, like, I think it's 10 or 11 months. And so what do you do with all the cash flow that comes after that? I mean, I suppose you could pay a dividend or you could redeploy it into another excellent project without having to dilute uh, your shareholders through uh, equity capital raise to fund an underground mine. And so it is, a, It is. well, it might, I understand the, the question because we love the ISR mining. Um, it is our competitive advantage. But the, the biggest issue one would have is you have a high, highly profitable asset and nothing to redeploy the profits into. And, and Griffin is really an excellent place uh, for us to redeploy the profits, and it gives us a very long life. And it truly gives us exposure now to what I'll call the first leg of, of, of the price uh, recovery and this uh, increased uranium demand with Phoenix, and then a funded underground mine to be exposed to the further leg that we might see from a recovering uranium market when we start to see those larger even higher growth projections for demand. And we start to look at the supply and see what they call the unspecified supply period. Well, uh, Griffin is really well suited to to uh, to support that period. It would be funded through that cash flow at Phoenix. So that they really are well paired. Yeah, good. And um, I've seen so many times uh, the supply side for various commodities underwhelming just when you um, really need it to come through. And what it does lead to... Uh, tightness in the market and um, <clears throat> stress, which is, gets reflected in price volatility. But um, that, that's that's a topic for another day. Um, David, thank you very much for your time. Um, I appreciate it. it's been a long week for you in in London. Um, good luck with your remaining meetings. And um, if if you were to kind of uh, summarise the kind of the news flow over the next six months, is it uh, kind of exploration ISR? Um, is it more kind of the broader portfolio than necessarily the kind of the uh, the, the permitting news flow out of um, Phoenix? I think you're going to see a peppering back and forth between uh, periodic updates on on how things are advancing with Phoenix, including permitting, uh, but but sort of spiced up, if I can say, with uh, the other assets and, and the work that we've been doing quietly in the background as as we move towards really a project execution focus on Phoenix and now starting to look at the project evaluation efforts and exploration and the other assets. So I do think we have quite a dynamic mix of news uh, at a time when the market, um, you know, frankly needs companies to be aggressively moving projects forward. Uh, we're, we're, we're answering that call and, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm proud of the plan that we've, we've developed. Go out there, be aggressive. Good luck. Okay, thanks, Marlon.